That's not something that I have to worry about every day. I'm secure that my and my family's and my children's medical needs will be met. And I don't have to worry about if I lose my job, but don't lose this job and go to another job. We'll have worse. You know, this is craziness. And we're going to stop around every year, which is the better plan. This is nuts. And you, you do away with that. And you're giving workers more social security, more social power. And that's all good. And that's, that's right. You don't have to, you know, there are real reforms that are, as I quite say, non-reformist reforms that are worth fighting for. And you've got to know that you do, you can, you have the tools to do this. You don't have to get yourself in this, this merry-go-round of, well, how are you going to pay for it? And if you're going to pay for it, you're going to raise taxes. And you raise taxes, who are you going to raise taxes on? And that that kind of disappears. And you just say, we we can decide as a society, this is what we want. We want everybody to have a job. We want everybody to have health care, no matter what. That doesn't, that's not saying we're going to remove and take the means of production away from the capitalist class, which we should do, but it it allows the workers to start thinking about that in a way that, and to, to work toward that from a position of greater power. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with Marxist academic and blogger Jim Cavanaugh. Jim has taught at Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, and Wesleyan Universities. He was also a regular guest on the internet radio show Loud and Clear with Brian Becker and John Kirikow. He's currently an author at Counterpunch and editor at The Polemicist. Jim wrote his first post on modern money theory, or MMT, in January of 2018, only one month before I discovered MMT. His second MMT post was written in September of that year, which is where I discovered his work. The post is called Taxpayer Money Threatens Medicare for All and Every Other Social Program, and it had a great influence on me in my early learning. It's now the final item in my recommended list of non-academic works to read for those interested in an introduction to MMT. The post lays out why the MMT lens is so powerful by describing in great detail how detrimental the myth of taxpayer money really is. Here's a choice quote from the article. There are two possible ways to set the agenda. One, let's figure out how much tax we'll have to collect from the rich. Or two, let's ignore those fears and do what we want, which is more radical. Jim's latest post, which serves as the bouncing off point for our conversation, is on the century-long myth that Social Security can only be viable if its trust funds have sufficiently large numbers written in them. In reality, the trust funds are useless, non-functioning appendages. This means that eliminating the payroll taxes that feed the trust funds 
can only cause problems for Social Security recipients if our federal representatives want it to cause a problem. There is no inherent connection between the size of the trust funds and the viability of the Social Security program. As University of Texas at Austin economics professor James Galbraith says, the exercise of linking future benefits and projected payroll tax revenues is an accounting farce done for political reasons. In other words, the Social Security trust funds, in addition to those attached to Medicare and Bernie Sanders' proposed Medicare for All, are entirely artificial constraints that serve to choke off benefits that could indeed be fully paid with little to no financial or inflationary concerns. The trust funds also promote the insidious notion that basic human needs can only be met by paying for them. It implies that anyone who can't pay due to systemic discrimination is incorrectly characterized as somehow less deserving of basic human rights. Jim and I also talk about his view of MMT as a Marxist academic. He believes MMT to be an accurate description of how the fiat money system works and that it provides a necessary but incomplete or not sufficient basis for a critique of modern capitalism. Unlike mainstream economics, however, MMT doesn't preclude those more extreme things from happening. As many Marxists believe, Jim wants to take the means of production away from capitalists and place it into the hands of workers. Although MMT's job guarantee is, in a sense, a patch on our flawed system of capitalism, it is also a huge step towards empowering workers who can then start considering different and more ambitious ways of utilizing that power. Speaking of which, money is no less than a manifestation of power. As Jim says, we don't need to take money from the rich because we need to use it to pay for stuff for the poor. We must take it because having that much money is not so different than having an atomic bomb. No one should have an atomic bomb. The idea that government can only waste money and do things inefficiently is ideology, not reason. If we think of money as power, then we can more easily see this. If you yourself had the ability to create money in your basement, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I know that I would use the money for good. Why then is it guaranteed that the government would use that same capability, that same power, for bad or incompetently. Perhaps the very power itself is what has the potential to corrupt. Whatever the case, the reality is that this power is now and has always been in the hands of our government and not in our basement. It must also be said that having this power is indeed a burden, at least in the sense that you alone hold the key to preventing suffering and death for millions. We as individuals want the ability to create money in our basement because we want more power. We instinctually believe this power to be a good thing because we believe ourselves as individuals to be good. We believe in our own abilities to make good decisions. We have lost faith, however, in ourselves as a society and as a result, we have decided to neglect it, especially the very institution that exists to create some semblance of order within it. And yet we complain that the government has been taken over by the corrupt and we use it as an excuse 
to neglect it even more. As Jim told me, could it be used badly in another way? Yes, it could, but it could also be used better. There's only one option, and that is to take control of our government and our money back. The only way we have a chance of doing that is to understand the true nature of how things work. MMT is a large part of that reality. If you like what you hear, I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. As much fun and as enlightening as it is to do these interviews, your financial support makes it a lot easier. For even $1 a month, patrons currently have exclusive super early access to part two with Jim, plus eight other full episodes right now. Five more episodes are ready and waiting and will be released to patrons as soon as they're approved by my guests. In addition to getting the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions, patrons also support the development of my large and growing collection of Learn MMT resources, which you can find at http citizensmedia.tv mmt. These resources are a gateway to the quarter century body of MMT academic literature, but geared to the layperson. To become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash activist MMT. Thank you so much to all my current patrons. Finally, a brief note before we begin. You'll hear Jim praise Marxist economist Michael Roberts. I have no comment on Roberts in general and certainly nothing related to Marxism. In my strong opinion, however, Robert's grasp of MMT is not great. You'll find a link to a paper written by Robert's criticizing MMT in the show notes, along with some of my own comments regarding it. And now, on to my conversation with Jim Cavanaugh. Uh, so, uh, so what's going on? How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Doing all right. Getting my allergies starting up this for the fall season a little bit sniffling, so I'll try and stop that. But otherwise, okay. good. I'm good. Just a little busy. Um, yeah, we've been. I mean, with coronavirus, we've we've literally been in the house since March, except for going to the dentist a couple weeks ago. That's like the, that's it. So it's like I'm. No one's getting colds, or at least we're not getting colds because we're not bringing stuff into the house, you know. But we all, all four of us, start school. Um, you know. We're all, I'm a one-on-one, my wife's a teacher and my two boys are in four different schools. So, uh, really hits the fan starting next week. So we'll see what happens. Wow. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm predicting lots of deaths to be honest. And, uh, and then Trump is going to see the election coming and going to do something. And that's my prediction. So, um, Okay, so do you have something specific, uh, you know, aside from just, you know, MMT in general, like I know you have your most recent article, which I rather enjoyed. I thought that was good. So you, um, you did read you that any? payroll tax. Well, you know, I'll just oh, say yeah, that about, about the payroll tax issue, which has come up because Trump brought it up in his own inimitable way. But, you know, it's too bad uh, that he's the one who brings it up <laughs> in the way he did. And he and Mnuchin said... You know, we can eliminate the payroll taxes without 
eliminating the program, which is true. And you know, the uh, uh, most of the leftists and progressives don't want to hear it. And they don't certainly don't want to hear it from Trump and Mnuchin. Don't blame them. So there was a predictable response. So, you know, I I used it as an opportunity to write this article that, um, again, addressed the left to say, you know, we have to pay attention to this. The payroll tax is a weakness. You know, FDR knew it. And he thought it would be a strength. He knew it was unnecessary. And he thought it would be a political strength. But really, it's going, it's been and will be a weakness because they'll keep attacking that because you're going to have to keep raising it. And if you, if you have this pay-for paradigm where that's paying for it, that's part of what's paying for it, you got to keep raising it. And, you know, you can say as long as you want, well, we'll just raise it a tiny bit on the workers and we'll take the rest of it from the billionaires and make the billionaires pay. And make. But, you know, the Republicans will come back to the workers and say, oh, they're going to keep raising your taxes on that, and you know, whatever they tell you. And that's true, <laughs> a yep. little bit at a time, but it's going to have to be if that's what pays for things. So, yep, you know, it's it's it, it's a political weakness, and it was it's it would be such a political strength to say, yeah, we can abolish payroll tax. We should abolish payroll taxes. I mean, it would be the biggest pay raise workers have had instantly ever. You know, a six point six plus percent pay raise, and uh, you know, you take it off the table, and then you have the fight over. Well, then how do you pay for things? And you have the fight. And it just, it, it, it upsets me and, and saddens me that if in this crisis, we can't start arguing for things that people haven't been familiar with, but would change things significantly if they were familiar with it, you know, and just have to go along with the same old false narratives because they're the ones everybody's familiar with. That's just too bad. When it, what, what opportunity is going to be better than this? So that's and, and it's and it's really like the Democrats or uh, you know just as a blanket statement, you know the leftists, the you know the gentle neoliberal leftists, they're really like, but we can't stop punching ourselves in the face, otherwise we won't get health care. It's like just a really twisted way of looking at it. After reading your article. Uh, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna go more into that, but how about how about we go go from the beginning? So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on, and we've been I've been waiting to talk to you for a while. Um, so, I actually discovered you. I didn't know your name at the time. I just discovered your article on uh, the the how the taxpayer money idea sabotages all progressive programs. And that is that is the final item in my list of what I recommend people to read when they first want to those who want to understand MMT. Here is my list of non uh, non academic, you know, articles, and that is the final one because it shows the reason why learning MMT is important. And so I saw that article quite a while ago, probably not too long after you wrote it, because I discovered MMT around that time, and then like three, four months ago, not too long ago, I saw a comment by you on my old video that I did in June of 2018, where I introduced Graham to uh, MMT very early in my learning, very early in my learning, only a few months after I ever heard of MMT. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. This, this is not nearly as good as, you know, here's a much better version. And then I connected the fact that you had this article. Um, and that's how we sort of like officially met, I think. So could you please, could you introduce yourself and, you know, just tell about yourself and then, but, but can you work towards your life and your thinking before you discovered MNT? 
please. Sure, sure. Well, I, I have a formation as a, a Marxist academic, Marxist cultural theory, you know. I taught at Princeton and Carnegie Mellon and Wesleyan universities, and I was a student of Fred Jameson and Terry Eagleton. You, you're, many people in your audience will know who they are. Uh, and I consider myself a Marxist, and, and I began blogging about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago from a left socialist perspective, and I knew nothing about MMT. And in fact, one of my early articles in 2012 was about social security. And I had had a, a, a bug in my bonnet about that for a long time. I have a very good friend, a classmate from high school and college, who actually runs a nonprofit protecting social security in Washington. And I knew something about social security. And I wrote a long article about it from a conventional financing standpoint, but, you know, about how the, the fake uh, special securities that they used to finance social security were, you know, you know, because they replaced the regular treasury bonds with those things, you know, that, that, that's where way, that was a way for the ruling class to create bonds that could be reneged on because they wouldn't, not, they, they wouldn't, People, the ruling class around the world would know that, that that's not our stuff that they're playing with. So it was a long article about the financing of Social Security from a, a traditional perspective of uh, uh, finance. And but I, you know, as a Marxist, I pay attention all the time to economic uh, news and economic writing, and you know, I want to know how the economy works. And you know, as I said number of times if you want to know how things work you got to read the business pages because they talk to themselves and they're honest and they they try to know what's going on anyway and then i started to get into you know read a few years ago michael hudson and his work was very good and i met him at the at some left forums and i started to you know run up against the modern monetary theory writers you know mitchell and uh, from Michael Hudson, I went to Bill Mitchell and S Stephanie Kelton and, you know, some of the other, Mara Mosler. And I read it and I read it and I read it. And it was like, you know, that doesn't sound right. You know, something's got to be wrong about this. And it took me a number of iterations going through it to kind of say, oh, okay, now I see the point. And it's really not as complicated as I thought. And it, it really breaks a lot of knots of thinking. So it was at that point, I guess it was two years ago or so, that I decided, you know, I thought it was important. And I thought, you know, I have to think through it myself and, and make sure I understand it. And I want people on the left to understand it because I could see very easily, right, for me, r reading it initially, saying, how does this work for, for the left? You know, doesn't this undermine everything we thought? And so when I came to realize, oh, no, it doesn't. In fact, it helps and it can help. You know, I wanted. I wrote my first article about it, which was called "Behind the Behind Behind the Money Curtain," really to to kind of think myself through it again and make sure I understood it. And there are a lot of things about that that standard MMT people wouldn't like. But you know, uh, I wanted to, to because do the they're research. inaccurate, or because of another reason. Well, I'll, I'll say something about that, but I'm, I'm finished. But I'm just, so I wanted to make sure that I understood the research and you know connected it with leftists and Marxist thought as much as I could and. And and see if it came, it became. I could do something that was coherent about it, and I did. The thing that MMTs don't like is my talk about the Fed, Federal Reserve Board, and about the, the. Um, you know, I introduced the concept of Federal Reserve Board as, you know, I don't say it's not a government organization, but you know, and I maybe you know, I I don't like 
you know, I, I don't have the, the, the uh, I, I want to say the Federal Reserve Board is something we should be more suspicious about and should be willing to say something about. In my mind, it's like a, a captured regulatory agency. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? It's part of the government, but it it is half a private organization and it works in private interests. I think that's really true. And and I think MMT is, you know, generally, because they just, they, they want to dismiss the idea that the Fed is something independent of the government, which it isn't independent of the government. But on the same time, what it does is it, it's like, a, as I say, like a captured regulatory agency. Sure, it's part of the government, but it's the regulatory arm of the, of the money system that's captured by the private banking system. <laughs> and that's the way I would describe it. You know, it's one of the, one of the things that indicates the way the, the, the management of money in society is captured for, for private interest, not public interest. That, but, you know, so the MMT is, and when I wrote that, I didn't quite understand how contentious that was to talk about the Fed that way and to bring that up in the context of MMT. Anyway, so that's when I started really getting into it. And then in my conversations, you know, with people like my friend in Washington and, you know, and he then, I said to him, you have to invite Stephanie Kelton to talk to your group and get the, get her involved in this. And I was on, you know, I'm on loud and clear radio a lot uh, and uh, with Brian Becker and you know, John Kuryaku and and I started to say to them, you know, we really have to, they would bring up issues about the budget and everything. And I said, well, you, then I start to say, you know, but you really don't have to borrow money for that, or you don't have to raise taxes for that. And they weren't, and I said, we got to have, let's, let's bring someone on and let's get Stephanie Kelton on. So I had her come on to loud and clear with me. And then, you know, I, I, I wanted to then write an article, which would be about specifically directed to the left, you know, when the, about when it was after the uh, all the Democrats came out in favor of Medicare for all and co-signed the bill, you know, co-sponsored the bill with Bernie and blah, blah, blah. I wrote an article about that generally saying, you know, don't believe a word they're saying, mm-hmm. Trojan Horse Democrats. But then I wanted to write an article saying, you know, we really do have to understand as leftists how pernicious this is for our, our program and, you know, how pernicious the taxpayer and pay for scheme is for, for our agenda. And it's going to hurt us. So then I did the taxpayer money, the one you were talking about, uh, mm-hmm. will undermine Social Security, uh, Medicare for All, and every other social program. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this last one, uh, because it came up with Trump again, and, and it's part of the problematic of Trump where, you know, everybody just reacts immediately and, and revulsively to Trump. You know, and sometimes you're right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and uh, and and we gotta we gotta not be focused on Trump. We can't let it. We can't let our reaction to him, our visceral hatred of him, which is perfectly justifiable, uh, stop us from thinking about things in ways. You know, because you back into the Robert Reich, you know, Democrats, and not just the liberal Democrats and the neoliberal Democrats, but leftists and Marxists, and you know, they they don't want to see that this is a this is and it's very easy to say donald trump's going to destroy social security but you know cutting cutting the payroll tax will destroy social security and and thinking beyond that you know requires getting out of a comfortable paradigm that the left across the board from democrats to marxists has been comfortable with so you know i wanted to write something about that so generally speaking i still consider myself a marxist i don't consider mmt to be a sufficient answer to the problems that i think social this of the social economy that Marxism talks about. And I don't, I consider it to be a necessary and correct understanding of how the monetary system works. Uh, and we have to use it as a tool. 
to, uh, to, to do what, what I call non-reformist reforms within a demo, within a capitalist society, it's possible to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are there are uh, uh, reforms like Medicare for all and Social Security. In principle, they are they are they are socializing and creating social rights, and those are non-reformist reforms as opposed to something like the ACA and you know Obamacare, which is a a reform that actually strengthens the control of private. Uh, capitalism over our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think MMT is uh, uh, a very important tool because it's correct, first of all. it's I think it's a correct understanding of how the monetary system works relative to the, the, the dominant paradigm, the pay-for paradigm. And we have to work on the basis of what's true. Truth has a power. Okay. Um, uh, a few, well, my comment on the Fed, which I don't feel like I'm that knowledgeable necessarily, but the Fed, as I understand it, the Fed is only private to the extent that Congress allows it to be private. I mean, I'm only talking about currency creation. There obviously are private in some senses, but but as far as currency creation is is concerned, yeah, they do. They are an arm of the bankers, but only because Congress allows that to happen because Congress cannot create something that it cannot subsequently destroy or fix or change in any way. It's just not possible. So- that seems to sort of be what you're saying. It's effectively what you're saying, but it's only that way because Congress allows it to be that way. Would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, Congress can do what it wants with it, <laughs> uh, but it did do that. I mean, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, and it wasn't a creation of Congress. It was a creation of, you know, Jay Gould and the bankers. It was a creation, or was it Gould or, uh, I think it was Gould, you know, of, uh, of in, in the, 19 teens. It was a creation to make sure that, that the, the, the monetary policy was, you know, managed by people who, who in their interests. So it was that, you know, and it's like saying, you know, it's like saying MMT is the way it is because Congress, it's like saying, you know, we have to, we have to, if, if, if you spend more than you collect in taxes, we have to issue bonds and sell bonds because that's the way. But Congress could change that if they want. Yes, they could, but they don't. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, yeah. that's that, that's part of what's involved in the whole Fed, Federal Reserve system, which was created in a certain way to, you know, to manage the economy fundamentally on behalf of the ruling class. And you know, this is a particular thing in the United States that, that the way the Federal Reserve was set up. It's uh, so you know, it it's not nothing. It's not. It doesn't mean that it's it's not a government that that it's not ultimately controlled by the government but it does mean that uh, you know it's it's kind of got a it's got an autonomy of its own that's that's there for a reason you know yeah, which is not I, I, public interest i agree with that but i think it's i i think it is much more of a problem because they don't because Congress doesn't use fiscal policy as they could. If Congress did what they could with fiscal policy to help people in society, then that would be much less of a concern. But one of the things that would that using fiscal policy would involve would be doing away with issuing bonds to to supposedly collect money for the taxes that haven't been raised, you know, for the spending. Sure. I mean, you know, what they're doing is they're they're, they're putting fiscal policy. Uh, under the submission of uh, a, a monetary policy that's phony, uh, and that's and that and the Fed is part of that 
kind of apparatus. It makes it look, you know, arcane and complicated. So it's so difficult to understand. What are these bonds doing? Why do you have to do this? You know, right. so there's all these mediation, intermediations between what the Congress could do in terms of putting benefit and money out to the society and, and, and how it has to do it through all these intermediaries that most of which aren't necessary. Right. Right. Um, can you talk about, uh, you said that, uh, MMT is, n- does not provide, I don't remember your exact wording, but you said something to the effect of MMT does not provide a sufficient answer to society's problems. Um, uh, so can can you clarify that? But also, I think I think it is true to say that MMT doesn't pretend to be or prescribe a solution to those problems. Would that be? Can you? Clarify oh, I agree, hundred percent. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. And this is one of the things you know. Marxists reject MMT because it's not sufficient, but that's not a reason to reject it. I mean, it doesn't pretend to be. I mean, so far as it, someone does think it is, I think they, they'd be wrong about that. But I think, in generally speaking, MMT does not pretend to. Some people think it's more of a solution than it probably is, but it, you know, it can do a lot. You know, knowing that this is the reality of how money works allows you suddenly to, to use it as a tool the way that it is being used as a tool by the capitalist class. You know, we put it in our hands. And, that, and you got to know that that's possible, that all it takes to do that is, is political will, really, and political and building a political movement that will enable you to take control of the money. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that, and this is where the word agnostic comes in, MMT is fundamentally, I think, agnostic to the issue of class power and, 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 and class antagonism. And MMT is a theory of money. It's not a theory of value, <laughs> you know. And this is, uh, this is, and there's a distinction there for Marxists, and I think it's important. And it really, it comes up when MM, you know, when Stephanie Kelton says, "Well, it doesn't matter. We can we can put all the money out there. The issue isn't how much money; it's whether there are the real resources in society, which is essentially saying, you know, are, what's there to buy with the money and what's being produced in society. What what the Amara as a Marx, I'd say, what what does the money correspond to the value that's being produced and and being uh, you know that's available be, has been produced and can be produced in society. So." Those are those are different things, you know, and and it, one doesn't have to do everything. And uh, so I think that, you know, MMT is agnostic about that. I mean, you know, Mitchell is very clear that this is the job guarantee is a way of stabilizing a commodity, which as a Marxist, I'd call labor power, and just like you stabilize other commodities. And it's mm-hmm. a mechanism for stabilizing capitalism, really. Yeah. And that's OK. I mean, that you know, that's acknowledged. You know, there's no. MMT, academic MMT is not calling for class struggle or social revolution or taking the control of the production of capital wealth out of the hands of the capitalist class. So from my point of view, you know, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and I think we have to do. But but, but, but it uh, doesn't preclude that. It, doesn't, it absolutely it, doesn't. It does. You said it does not. You're agreeing No, it absolutely me. does not. And I yeah, think it's... So, that, that's, that shows that... that I mean, I wouldn't word it. It is not a sufficient. It doesn't provide a sufficient answer. It is a tool that could be used for whatever solution that you and Marxists or whoever wants to use it for. Well, I think I it's mean, a necessary. I, I think it's a necessary. I say it's not sufficient, but it's necessary because it's true. It's necessary to know. Oh, interesting. And interesting. Okay. It's necessary. That's the the typical terminology. It's necessary, but not sufficient. It's it's necessary. Uh-huh. It's necessary. I just, learned, I, just, I just learned the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's necessary to know how the money system works, which we're in, and 
and and going to be part of until we kind of create a society in which money becomes much less important, <laughs> which is what a you know a fully developed I think socialist or communist whatever society you want to call it would be one in which money is less important. It's very important in our society, and in order to do certain things here, you know, it's a tool. Money is a social tool. That's what MMT says. You know, it's not yep. a commodity. It's it's a social tool. It's and, not neutral. And and we and it, it is going to be used and is being used for certain purposes, and it's necessary for us to understand how that tool works and to take control of it and use it for our purposes, and we can do that in you know it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a preempt not preemptory it's a preface to uh, uh, it's a threshold it takes you to the threshold of being able to make other changes but it is socializing what i would call it or what i think it allows you to see how to do is socialize money take control of money it eliminates a lot of things you know it it it, it takes away the idea that people who have a lot of money have a right to it we created it it's a social creation we can decide where that money should go and whether or not people should be able to have hundred billion dollars in your account because that's that's that money is a tool that we need for our society and in an economic sense and in a social justice sense un imbalance the society and we we have the right to say no you can't have that much money we need it we need we need to be able to move that around where we want it to be so those are all things that don't overthrow capitalism but they 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 start just like labor unions or just like you know single bear healthcare or just like other, they they empower you to say we are taking control of things now that we thought we didn't you know we couldn't take control of because there was some magic out there that we couldn't mess with no there isn't <laughs> the job guarantee like you, you you said bill mitchell or however you phrase it but mmt the job guarantee doesn't explicitly say we need to take control back from the capital class but if we get a job guarantee that's going to be a gigantic step Absolutely. towards towards giving power yeah. back to the workers. And it's like, it's like the thing that's unsaid. Yeah. It empowers workers. Anything that really gives a, a social, social security in the general sense is socially empowering. And it gives the workers the ability to say, I don't have to accept crap that I don't want to accept, you know, and they, and their, their standing in society is assured in a way that it's not now. And it gives them a, a more powerful base from which to work for other things, just like single-payer healthcare would do in Medicare for All. That's not something that I have to worry about every day. I'm secure that my and my family's and my children's medical needs will be met. And I don't have to worry about if I lose my job, but don't lose this job and go to another job, I'll have worse, you know, this is craziness. And I'm going to step around every year, which is the better plan. This is nuts. And you, you do away with that and you're giving workers more social security, more social power. And that's all good. And that's, that's right. You don't have to, you know, there are real reforms that are, as I quite say, non-reformist reforms that are worth fighting for. And you've got to know that you do, you can, you have the tools to do this. You don't have to get yourself in this, this merry-go-round of, well, how are you going to pay for it? And if you're going to pay for it, you're going to raise taxes. And you raise taxes, who are you going to raise taxes on? And that that kind of disappears. And you just say, we we can decide as a society, this is what we want. We want everybody to have a job. We want everybody to have health care, no matter what. That doesn't. We, that's not saying we're, we're going to remove and take the means of production away from the capitalist class, which we should do, but it it allows the workers to start thinking about that in a way that, and to, to work toward that from a position of greater power. 
they're not they're not spending all their time suffering. They can actually start Absolutely. thinking of things aside from just die, you know, struggling just to make it to the next paycheck. And and med, uh, healthcare is not just about making people healthier. It is about power. Because exactly. you get, when you get health care, you can stand up to your bosses and not be threatened that your whole family is going to lose health care. Um, you, you discovered MMT partially, at least partially, through Robert Bostick. You, yes. You, you recall yes. that name? Yeah, his stuff was great. I've seen his name quite a bit on Facebook, and I never interacted with him before. But then I saw in your first article that you referred to him quite a bit. And his articles are they're good. I mean, they're good. And they're actually from like 2013. And, and he actually refers to Richard Malcolm, Malcolm Mitchell's, uh, yeah, Ralph, there's I another heard. Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. And Ralph RMM, I think is his initials. I can't think, but Robert refers to him and he talks about the gap, which I never thought about it this way before, which is they don't just want to be rich. They need the difference, the gap, to keep on growing because if that gap shrinks even a little bit, then, you know, they, they see all the rats coming to get them. So they have to keep the gap between the rich and the poor to be, you know, as large as possible. He's like, uh, if one person has a hundred dollars, that's fine. As long as everybody else has only one dollar, you know, it doesn't, it's not the amount that you have. It's the difference that you have between everybody else and that, and, and any program that you give healthcare jobs, uh, education, any program that you give substantially closes that gap, but it doesn't just substantially close it for me. It substantially closes it for the 99%. And that's a really scary. That's a really scary proposition for someone, for someone who has that, who has been abusing that class for, you know, however long, because I I say that the death to the 99% is actually death actual death death to the 1% is becoming a member of the 99% because because they have been abusing them for so long and they know that if they become part of the 1%, it ain't going to be, you know, it ain't going to be lollipops and rainbows for them. Mm-hmm. So um, you said money versus value. Uh, MMT yeah. talks about money. It doesn't talk about value. Can you elaborate on yeah. that? Well, I mean, Marxism is a theory of the production of value and, and, and money is a big part of that in capitalist society. And that's, you know, the Marxist terminology and money is a, is a kind of, is the important expression, the most important expression of value in a capitalist society. But, you know, Marx has, Marxism has a concept of value that, uh, and surplus value and exchange value and, and that, and uh, use value. And it really is a theory of value and theory of the production of value that money is part of that, an important part of that in capitalist society but you know, a value is first of all a thing you use and it's useful to you. And it, you know, it may not, you know, that's why it's like money isn't important. I remember seeing this. Uh, there's a great, great video. Was, uh, people in in Britain going around, or people asking people on the street the following questions: How much do you think it costs to have a baby in the United States? Mm. And they would all. And the, the first one that, then the most striking one was this young guy, and he goes, "There's a price for that." Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, it, it, so that's a real value. Having a doctor who can deliver a baby, having a hospital, these are real values that are out there. You know, is there a price for them? You know, <laughs> what, 
It really, the guy couldn't understand that there's a price for that. So money becomes less, becomes disengaged in, in, in the national health system. From the, from the ordinary person, money becomes disengaged from that value, from that real value, or, you know, what MMT is called the real resources of society. So it's just, you know, Marxism also has, says that, that you know, the important, the, the, the nub of Marxism is the production of surplus value and how labor and labor power, the commodity labor power has the ability to increase value. Uh, and, you know, whether there's a monetary price on that or not is another issue. And it's an important issue. <laughs> it's an important issue for all of us now because it's an important issue in capitalist society. But, it, you know, it, th- th- what Marx is trying to do is to say we've got we to look and see how that, sit- that system works of the production of value and what it means to have these, the, the, the capitalist class in charge of that system and appropriating the surplus value that's created, whether in the money form in a capitalist society, but really it's just having limiting access to things, you know, limiting access to real resources, unless you pay the gate. They're 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 told really. So uh, it it's really just MMT says it. You know, it's not about the money, and that's what, what you said about power is very interesting. Really, it's about power. What you're doing is. Uh, uh, empowering people and and you got to realize we're not having an argument about how much money it costs but how much power we have over the the activity healthcare you know we're not this is a this is a, not a, it's a false argument about about money it's who's got power who's is this a right are we going to constitute that as a social right and if we do then we do it and we'll spend what's necessary and we'll control what's necessary in terms of you know, pricing and, uh, you know, one of the reasons that capitalists and, and pharmaceutical companies and hospital companies and don't want uh, single-payer health care is it's going to reduce the cost of it. <laughs> you know, actually, that's the only way you're going to reduce the cost of it. So uh, the, the, the question of the production of value is a question of Marx's analysis of how surplus value is produced via labor power and the the purchase of labor power versus labor, which is uh, something else, and that's a that's that's a and that's the nub of Marxism. But you know, money is is something which is very important to that in capitalist society, and is really the oil in the machine is the oil that keeps that machine going. So that's an analogy I like to use. You know, and that's fine. We have to take control of that, and you you can have people hoarding the oil <laughs> you know you can't put hmm. too much oil in the machine it'll clog the things up you put too little it's going to seize up and you can't have people hoarding the oil that's not what it's for it's you s- money should should it should be enabling production and enabling exchange in a in a in a positive way for the, for the people in general it's not there to be something that you work on for itself i, I i'm going to use this money to get more money <laughs> that, that is through 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 uh through speculation and financial speculation. Capitalism, heroic capitalism, uses money to get more money through production. And that's the kind of the point that Michael Hudson makes. You know, every society has known that usury and financial speculation is a bad thing that destroys society. And if you're using money, you know, even within the capitalist framework, within a kind of classical heroic capitalist framework, if you're putting money in to encourage production of real goods and services, and people are making profits of it. That's in the sense where, you know, there's still a ruling class, still people, 
okay, you know, at least things are being produced for people. But if you're using money to kind of bet on the stock market and buy bonds and get interest and da 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 da, that's something which becomes a people have to have a lot of money to speculate like that. And you're trying to just use money to grow your bank account. That's not productive use of money. Even with <laughs> it's not capital. just not it's not just not productive. It is stealing from millions. Exactly. Exactly. It's they just taking don't. power, as you say, power away from society. Money is power. Exactly. Money is power. And you have a good line in your in your latest article. You don't let individuals hoard a hundred billion dollars of socially created wealth for the same reason that you don't let them have an atomic bomb. Yep, it's money is power. Money and it's is like, power. It makes me think of like if you give. I, I have a, a story. I I wrote a story to introduce kids to MMT, and one of the one of the things in it is, I say, uh, you know, how could you you you, you can create money only you. Uh, how would you help people? You know, but be, then the first thing they do is just you know lavish themselves and their friends with you know <laughs> chach chachas. But then I think, you know, how can you really help people? You know, so think bigger. And then I turn it around. How can you hurt people with this power? And mm -hmm. you know, in a kid's mind, it's like what? And, and think in many people's minds, how can you hurt people by something so good? You know. Mm -hmm. And my first example that I think of is you find the absolute most evil kid and the, the bully. And you give them a billion dollars and you don't give anybody else anything. Yep. And then you can immediately understand that that, that is a horrible – that would be a horrible thing yep. to do. Um, so that's, that's, that actually brings home the idea that money is not neutral because not – like the federal government not spending money for something desperately needed like health care. People die yep. simply because they didn't spend money. And that so therefore money is not neutral. The money itself, or not the spending of something that's horrible on something that's horrible, or the not spending on something that's desperately needed, makes a lot of people die and suffer. And that is that is the that is the essence of what for me I understand that money is not neutral. And uh, healthcare is not just making people healthier; it gives them power because it can stand up to their bosses. I said that part. Education, free education is not just making people smarter. It is making them more powerful because currently our schools are in charge of by the rich. Local schools are funded by property taxes. Only 8% is funded by the federal government when obviously it could, they could fund 100% of it. And that means that rich people are in charge of local school systems and therefore black black and brown people, minorities are are you know, they're given the crap schools. They're also because, but then that means they're not educated, which means they don't have better jobs, which means they don't get property, which means they're not taxed more, which means that they're kept away from the levers of power and on and on and on and on. And then at the college level, it's donors. A rich donor, mm -hmm. colleges are funded by donors. And so a rich donor sees that a professor is teaching some uncomfortable truths, which happens to reveal something about them and their company. And they say, you want my money, get rid of that professor. If we had free education, all that's gone. That is an enormous strike against the rich. Enormous. So educating people is not just making people smarter. It's giving them power. Um, so money is power. Um, so you said, all right, so money versus value. You said that MMT talks about money. It doesn't talk about value. So first of all, let's define these things. Value is just like, you know, us talking right now is not making anybody money, <laughs> or no. at least not much. No. Um, but this is valuable. So you mean in the more generic sense of the term value? I, I would think that that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. values are socially determined too. I mean, but there are there are real, you know, 
fundamental values of housing and food. And, you know, there are things that we need that, that are of value to us that we need use values. And there are services that we need that are valuable to society. And, you know, that those are changeable given social, social circumstances, you know, uh, having the internet publicly available is something that's a value I would say is a value. You know what I mean? It's a public social determination, but there are going to be people who will say, you know, that's something you determine socially. And again, it's a question again of power and making political decisions. What is it that's a value that we should be spending our resources, including our money on making sure it's out there for us. So those are, that's a, what is valuable in society changes historically. Uh, So, you know, there are certain basic things that we need, but even when you talk about uh, housing, well, what's the, what's the minimum value of housing that we want people to have? Okay. Can, can you, I would like to ask the question again, and if you could, maybe you've already answered it, but just to maybe summarize it again, how does MMT not talk about value? Because you well, said it, that it talks about money, it doesn't talk about value. Well, it does talk about it in the sense that it says what's important are the resources out there. I, I'm kind of saying, from Marx's point of view, the, it, use resources as a synonym for value. You know, when Stephanie Kelton says the resource, the real uh, resources out there. You see what I'm saying? But yeah. Marx, Marxism also has a theory of how that value and surplus value is produced and the class system that produces that and how that creates crises and how that creates, how that is politically set up to create inequalities, you know, and why it's in, why, even though it looks, it's constructed in a way that can look like it's fair for the capitalist to take the profits and take the surplus value that's been produced. Really, you know, there's something else going on that you've got to see, which is the way labor power produces surplus value. So it's another, it's just another, Marxism goes more, into more granular detail about the production of value. But I'm, I'm suggesting that we think of the word value as maybe a synonym for the word resources, the real yeah, that, resources that are out there. I think that makes it clearer. Um, so have you experienced or, or witnessed, um, there, there are some pretty strong criticisms by people who say they're Marxists. Maybe they don't know it as well as they should. But there is a lot of... Uh, I've noticed tension between people who call themselves Marxists and and are very very hesitant to accept MMT or pieces of it. Have you witnessed that? Have you do you have anything to any well, thoughts Well, the class the classic example is Doug Henwood. You know, and he wrote a piece in Jacobin about it. And again, I just don't think a lot of, you know, and you get this line, okay, we understand that we don't, you know, fiat system, we don't really need taxes to pay for things. That doesn't really make any difference. How does that change anything? It doesn't change class society. It doesn't tell you how to, uh, how to get the working class to you know, organize and move towards a revolutionary situation. But it can change a lot of things. And the, 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 the proof of that is how hard it is to get people to kind of look at that and accept it. And you know, it's not nothing. <laughs> and also, as I say, I think that there's just a tremendous suspicion. I had someone on, on Twitter, my Twitter line, it was good leftists. Me and I said, MNT, I don't want to hear this crap. Unfollowed me, you know, and it's, oh, it's all these, that's all these rich people like MMT. You know, they, they, Warren Mosler made a lot of money trading bonds. He's a, he's a rich capitalist, uh, financial, you know, 
guy who who made oodles of money playing games with speculating, and that's correct, you know, <laughs> and we want to tax his money away. <laughs> and he probably doesn't want that. But, you know, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then he ran away to the Caribbean to hide his tax away from taxes, and that's true. So, you know, but that, so what? Is he right or is he not right? So there was a capitalist who benefited from capitalism who learned, who was able to say something true about it. I mean, like Frederick Engels, <laughs> you know, who was a capitalist and was Marx's patron and, you know, also was a great thinker himself. Uh, and there's this notion that this is a way for rich people to run away from taxes. And it will be, it is, I mean, not like they're not doing it anyway. <laughs> you know, they don't need MMT to do that, but they will definitely, the more that becomes, uh, a presence in the general discourse of society, oh, we don't need taxes to pay for government programs, the more rich people are going to say, see, we don't need taxes. What, what are you taxing us for? And you've got to be able to answer that question. And so that's, that's I think, generally speaking, the way that uh, the suspicions among Marxists. There's another line of thought, which is the, uh, there's a guy I like very much, Michael Roberts. He's a Marxist theoretician, Marxist economist. And, you know, what he's saying really is that, again, MMT isn't talking about how capitalist crisis come about, you know, I, 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 there is a difference in, in, in thinking about whether crises like the financial crisis of 2008, 2009 are driven by, by uh, lack of demand and the MMTs are like a neo-Keynesian where you can solve that by increasing demand, by putting money into the economy and the Marxist line is more no their their crisis of profitability and the, and the rate of profit, and and because of the class system you know and because class because capitalist class is in control of productive forces including the f- closest forces of finance, they won't invest unless they are assured of greater productivity and that doesn't necessarily come from demand, uh, so th- those are other. Uh, more arcane d- differences about what causes capitalist crisis and how how to solve it, what how, if it can be solved, and those are differences I think that would be more profound between MMT and Marx and and Marxist uh, on a on a level. I, you know, I don't have the, the complete uh, ability to discuss actually in the greatest depth, but that's where you it, see the arguments. But it sounds that that sounds related at least somewhat to that. MMT doesn't go as far as they want it to exactly, go. Exactly, exactly. That MMT and, doesn't and, profess to be, to, doesn't profess to go that far when that upsets them that it doesn't go that far. And they suspect that, and it's true, I think, that uh, MMT, you know, th- th- that a lot of MMT thinkers and ec- economists don't want to. <laughs> you know, whatever reason they don't do it, they don't Because want it would be a much harder sell, number it one. It would be a much harder and it's, it would, you know, they have positions within the field of economics and economics academically that they can, they can make this, which is a really, you know, sound and is a radical position to take this MMT position. And they can still be accepted within the field because they're not quite going and saying, you know, you know we want to nationalize the banks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we want to socialize the banks. We don't think... Uh, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos should have hundred million dollars in his in his bank account. You know, and and uh, you know we don't think the capitalist class should control things. So even thinking of like the 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 job guarantee, you know, I said this when I was at the MMT, MMT conference a couple of years ago in New York. You know, okay, we're gonna have a job guarantee. 
That means we're going to put people to work in local places. And really what they're doing, because it's a buffer stock, it's not, it's, it's done in a way that doesn't threaten the control of the capitalist class over capitalist production. So we're going to have job guarantee for social needs like, you know, healthcare and childcare and, you know, may, maybe some building and some, but, you know, well, why don't we have a job guarantee that includes jobs for making cars, making bicycles, hmm. you know, objects that are made for profit in the private sphere controlled by capital. And you say, oh, we need more bicycles here. So we're going to make bicycles. <laughs> and that's going to take business away from private capital. See, that's a, that's a level of a job guarantee that's not just a job guarantee. That then becomes a, a kind of s a encroachment of social production onto the sphere of capital. You see what I'm saying? Which you wouldn't that's, a direct, that's a contradiction against the design of what it's supposed to be. It's not it's intended exactly. to not be redundant exactly. with private exactly. or public. Exactly. It's it's well, it's but I'm saying that could be a that could be a threshold of a public production system. You see what I'm saying? That oh yeah, you know, it could. It could. I'm not saying yeah, no, no, I'm not, I just I just happen to understand that the MMT design yes, exactly. job guarantee does not is intended explicitly not to conflict with any exactly, existing jobs. Exactly. And that's that's part of which kind of avoidance of the issue of where do we want to go ultimately with this? Or do we want to push it in a way that's going to challenge capitalist social relations? But again, if we if we implement a job guarantee in the way that MMT wants to do it, which does not conflict, that yeah. will give power to to people to change those rules and maybe make it even broader. And that's Absolutely. what they're scared about. That's what they're scared about. So yeah. it's not the fact that MMT is, you know, in itself inherently scary. It is that it is the gateway to things that they are very exactly. scared about. Exactly. Um, you said. Well, uh, I think it said, is. I think it is scary to, to capitalists, frankly, to have people with a job guarantee. That oh, is it's scary. terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. That's why we don't have it. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you said uh, something to the effect that MMT doesn't predict, or the, that Marxist person doesn't, that he's unsatisfied with how MMT like predicts capitalist crises. And actually, uh, well, number one, I think it's clear that MMT economists have really have predicted, you know, like the euro before the euro was created, they predicted that would be a disaster. They predicted the, the uh, 2008 crisis. So I think, you know, I think that by itself shows that that might, that's probably a little bit wrong. But in addition to that, there's the uh, Kansas City version of MMT, which is the same as the broad MMT project with one important difference, and that is Minsky. And Minsky yeah. has, has uh, his idea of financial fragility. And I think that that is a lot. I don't understand it enough to really talk about it, but I do know that that it, basically Randy Ray said to me that what MMT proposes, the broad MMT proposes as a whole, which is the job guarantee, ZERP, and uh, you know flexible exchange rates, that would be an enormous step towards macro stability, price stability. But the Kansas City version, which is Minsky and, and financial fragility says that that's that's not enough and that there needs to be more uh, you know there still will be problems even if we do all of those things and that minsky has the ideas that are necessary to go even farther i can't speak on what really they are but i think that those address what that economist that you were just talking about is yeah. concerned about yeah i wasn't talking necessarily about predicting crises i was talking about the deep causes of crisis and there's a lot of things you can predict just on the basis of financial 
you know, looking at the fine, you could predict the problems with the euro, you know, uh, and and uh, what's going on with that, and, and the way in which austerity in general, the austerity paradigm, austerity, austerity economics, and balance balance the budget economics is going to create crisis. So that is something that MMT can predict and does predict. And well, predicting, I mean, you have to be able to predict it in order to be able to solve the problem. I mean, that's exactly. the first step. Understanding yeah, yeah. the truth is the first step in, in doing something about it. So Yeah, yeah. But, those, but there are other kinds of problems that have to do with, because, you know, will, uh, will production resume? And that has to do with, and I'm, this is generally speaking, I think the, the distinction is it, does that have to do with is the people have enough money to, in their pockets or the capitalists have enough chance to make a, make a profit? And which is the, which is the greater uh, determination of will production resume after a crisis? So that's, and it's, it's an arcane but important point, and I think people should look into that. And I recommend Michael Roberts. Uh, and, that's you know, the Marxist think, economist that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. And, you know, you look at somebody like Piketty, for example, you know, now Piketty shows very clearly, and you said this at the beginning, you've got to get more and more unequal. Inequality has to grow, you know, and he just shows the that. Yep. The gap yeah. has to increase. And, and, you know, and he's not a Marxist economist. He's a capitalist economist and he's just showing, but, you know, look, under capitalism, it's inevitable that the rate of profit has to be greater than, than the, than the interest rate. And you're going to, inequality is going to grow. It just has to. And unless you create social policies and, you know, he's a, he's a Keynesian and neo-Keynesian. He's like, you know, we need high taxes. We need all this to, to control inequality. That's what the liberal Keynesian project was, you know, and the best of it was seriously wanting to do that. And it, it took hold in places like uh, England and Scandinavia. So that was the social democratic project. Uh, but how does that run into its own kind of dead end? Does it or doesn't it? Because capitalists, and that's a political question. If the capitalists maintain political power, they're going to encroach on that. You know, that's not a monetary question. That's not a fiscal question. They're going to, they're going encroach, to encroach on, on what? On, on, on the social democratic framework that you've set up to, to, uh, to limit inequality. They're going to fight. They're going to encroach. They're going to have political power. I mean, J Jimmy Carter said this is an oligarchy with unlimited bribery. The Princeton study, which showed that it's not what the people want that gets enacted into policy and into, into policies, it's what the donor class wants. It's what yeah, the rich, 2014 video. Wants. That's that's so really that's, striking. So you know that's the situation. If you don't change that political power, who has the power and the control of the what I call the means of production of capital, the capital wealth of society? Who controls the capital wealth of society? Then you can have a great framework social democratic framework and you know but but they're going to encroach on it they're going to fight against it and fight away against it and find a way against it in in a thousand ways in over 20 years look what's happened since 1980 that's where the 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 bifurcation of uh productivity and 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 wage gains and the the, the great growing of the wealth inequality gap started you know because they have power a political power so, you know, that's something you have to work on uh, or you can have the best money system in the world. I mean, because it's really because what MMT is saying about money, it's who has the political power and, and knows how to use it to control the money system. It's for me, that's part of the capital wealth of society. Just like you need control of 
the capital wealth of society, the major means of production of in major industries, et cetera, you need control of, of, of the money system. But you need both of them. <laughs> you know, my project is to have social control of both of them, of all of those things, uh, insofar as you know possible. Right. Um, just a quick comment, uh, which is, uh, you know, this rich guy is behind MMT. And it's like, as if that makes MMT invalid. It's like, I mean, that's insane. There's one rich guy behind MMT, so MMT is invalid. But there's every single elite in the entire planet is behind mainstream. So let's stick with that. Um, uh, the, the one last uh, um, Marxist criticism that I've heard about MMT is basically that, that MMT is imperialist, that they say, oh, well, we can keep our military and get good stuff. And they're very upset that MMT so-called says that we can keep our military, which obviously, you know, <laughs> we don't have to reduce the military in order to start giving people health care. Yeah. You know, that, so that's that's the other criticism, that yeah, I well, about it, which is again, which again is that MMT doesn't go far enough. Yeah, that's a general left criticism, including among Marxists and radical leftists and people beyond left of the Democrats, etc. Is you know, oh, you're not saying we should we should reduce the military budget because they're saying, oh, we're going to take the money from the military budget and put it over in the social programs. So you're you're giving up that. So you're going to let them say we could keep the military budget, like, like you're not losing that battle anyway. <laughs> you know, where have you got? You know how much have you had the military budget reduced with the with the with the dominant framework? How much has it been reduced? Not at all. So it's it's and precisely the question of reducing the military budget isn't we're not you know some people some I'm sure will agree with MMT will say yeah we should have a big military budget and I am an imperialist that's true MMT does not force you to be anti-imperialist that's not a part of the of the theory of the project <laughs> it, 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 but but yeah. but it, but it doesn't uh, prevent you from doing it and what it does is it puts the question in the framework that's either right it's a political decision do we want to be imperialist or not imperialist <laughs> And there is, there is, on the other hand, also, you know, yes, the, the, the federal government can create as much money as it wants, but in fact, it can only create a finite amount <laughs> every year, <laughs> you know what I mean, at a time. Because we only have finite resources. That's exactly right. Because we only I have mean, I mean, we can resources. create at, at, a, at, a, at any moment in time, Yeah, we have a finite set of resources. We can create more and they're born and exported and yes. imported and, and so part on. Of the yeah. part, so, so you do want to say, yes. We, you know, given the fact that we can only create a finite amount of uh, we, we, resource, we don't, and, and money also doesn't just buy resources, it helps to produce resources. That's, that's one of the things that's important because, you know, if you use money correctly in a productive way, it, it encourages the production of resources. And we don't want politically to be encouraging the production of bombs and atomic bombs and weapons. And we want to do something else with it. So that's, it's not like the not exactly that there isn't a decision to be made, but the decision to be made is we take the money from here and put it here. Decisions to be made, we only have so much money at a time we can spend. So we should, we politically want to spend it on this and not that. That's a political decision. And it's, it's, it
Today I talk with Marxist academic and blogger Jim Cavanaugh. Jim has taught at Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, and Wesleyan Universities. He was also a regular guest on the internet radio show Loud and Clear with Brian Becker and John Kirikow. He's currently an author at Counterpunch and editor at The Polemicist. Jim wrote his first post on modern money theory, or MMT, in January of 2018, only one month before I discovered MMT. His second MMT post was written in September of that year, which is where I discovered his work. The post is called Taxpayer Money Threatens Medicare for All and Every Other Social Program, and it had a great influence on me in my early learning. It's now the final item in my recommended list of non-academic works to read for those interested in an introduction to MMT. The post lays out why the MMT lens is so powerful by describing in great detail how detrimental the myth of taxpayer money really is. Here's a choice quote from the article. There are two possible ways to set the agenda. One, let's figure out how much tax we'll have to collect from the rich. Or two, let's ignore those fears and do what we want. Which is more radical? Jim's latest post, which serves as the bouncing off point for our conversation, is on the century-long myth that Social Security can only be viable if its trust funds have sufficiently large numbers written in them. In reality, the trust funds are useless, non-functioning appendages. This means that eliminating the payroll taxes that feed the trust funds can only cause problems for Social Security recipients if our federal representatives want it to cause a problem. There is no inherent connection between the size of the trust funds and the viability of the Social Security program. As University of Texas at Austin economics professor James Galbraith says, the exercise of linking future benefits and projected payroll tax revenues is an accounting farce done for political reasons. In other words, the Social Security trust funds, in addition to those attached to Medicare and Bernie Sanders' proposed Medicare for All, are entirely artificial constraints that serve to choke off benefits that could indeed be fully paid with little to no financial or inflationary concerns. The trust funds also promote the insidious notion that basic human needs can only be met by paying for them. It implies that anyone who can't pay due to systemic discrimination is incorrectly characterized as somehow less deserving of basic human rights. Jim and I also talk about his view of MMT as a Marxist academic. He believes MMT to be an accurate description of how the fiat money system works and that it provides a necessary but incomplete or not sufficient basis for a critique of modern capitalism. Unlike mainstream economics, however, MMT doesn't preclude those more extreme things from happening. As many Marxists believe, Jim wants to take the means of production away from capitalists and place it into the hands of workers. Although MMT's job guarantee is, in a sense, a patch on our flawed system of capitalism, it is also a huge step towards empowering workers who can then start considering different and more ambitious ways of utilizing that power. Speaking of which, money is no less than a manifestation of power. As Jim says, we don't need to take money from the rich because we need to use it to pay for stuff for the poor. We must take it 
because having that much money is not so different than having an atomic bomb. No one should have an atomic bomb. The idea that government can only waste money and do things inefficiently is ideology, not reason. If we think of money as power, then we can more easily see this. If you yourself had the ability to create money in your basement, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I know that I would use the money for good. Why then is it guaranteed that the government would use that same capability, that same power, for bad or incompetently? Perhaps the very power itself is what has the potential to corrupt. Whatever the case, the reality is that this power is now and has always been in the hands of our government and not in our basement. It must also be said that having this power is indeed a burden, at least in the sense that you alone hold the key to preventing suffering and death for millions. We as individuals want the ability to create money in our basement because we want more power. We instinctually believe this power to be a good thing because we believe ourselves as individuals to be good. We believe in our own abilities to make good decisions. We have lost faith, however, in ourselves as a society, and as a result, we have decided to neglect it, especially the very institution that exists to create some semblance of order within it. And yet we complain that the government has been taken over by the corrupt, and we use it as an excuse to neglect it even more. As Jim told me, could it be used badly in another way? Yes, it could, but it could also be used better. There's only one option, and that is to take control of our government and our money back. The only way we have a chance of doing that is to understand the true nature of how things work. MMT is a large part of that reality. If you like what you hear, I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. As much fun and as enlightening as it is to do these interviews, your financial support makes it a lot easier. For even $1 a month, patrons currently have exclusive super early access to part two with Jim, plus eight other full episodes right now. Five more episodes are ready and waiting and will be released to patrons as soon as they're approved by my guests. In addition to getting the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions, patrons also support the development of my large and growing collection of Learn MMT resources, which you can find at http citizensmedia.tv mmt. These resources are a gateway to the quarter-century body of MMT academic literature, but geared to the layperson. To become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash activistmmt. Thank you so much to all my current patrons. Finally, a brief note before we begin. You'll hear Jim praise Marxist economist Michael Roberts. I have no comment on Roberts in general and certainly nothing related to Marxism. In my strong opinion, however, Robert's grasp of MMT is not great. You'll find a link to a paper written by Robert's criticizing MMT in the show notes, along with some of my own comments regarding it. And now, on to my conversation with Jim Cavanaugh. <laughs> 